right, all right. Welcome to the JB Font channel. I am your host, James Fontleroy. It's so good to see everyone here today. The JB Font Show is also available on all major podcast platforms like Anchor, Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, so you can subscribe there. I'm part of the Revolutionary Blackout Network. You can find me on the JB Show on Sundays at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and on the RBN Roundtable at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Please make sure to give this video a thumbs up. And if you're new to the channel, please make sure to smush that subscribe button. I do promise you cookies or brownies or something with THC in it. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. It depends if I can put it through the screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we ain't trying to get ourselves canceled on this thing, but you know what I mean. <laughs> For, for legal ramifications, the opinions expressed by JB are not the opinions of the JB Font Show. <laughs> Let me stop. <laughs> I just want to give a shout out to all the patrons that I have on coffee. Uh, thank you so much for your additional support. This is what keeps the lights on, literally, because these lights would be off without you. So thank you so much. And I am deeply humbled by your contribution. And I just want to say hello to everybody that is watching in the chat. We have quite a few people so far. So good to see you. Edwin, yes, yes you are. Yes, you loyalists up in there, too. I see Beverly Jensen in there. What's going on, Beverly? Yeah. She's always been a, great, a big, big supporter of MCSC, so I to give her a shout out. Nice. Good to see you as well. All right. Uh, Lawrence, Gary. We Look, I'm going to have to keep the introductions really quick because... I only got so much of this guy's time, and I want to make sure that we get as much info as possible, because uh, I, I, it's so good to see all of you in the chat today. Um, Death Leopards, uh, Lawrence, so good to see you. Gary, Workers, it's good to see you as well. Uh, Faded Pastel, so good to see all of you in the chat today. So, we're going to do this very short introduction. I just want to welcome Mr. Nico House, activist, political commentator, veteran. I just want an all around really genuine dude of this space that was humble enough to come on my itty bitty channel to help me out and just to have a good conversation. I've I've been wanting this to happen because our paths have never our paths have been kind of like crisscrossing, but never really like converging. And so I, I was like, man, it's, it's time. It's time for us to actually meet and have this conversation. So how are you doing, my friend? We good. We good. I'm back. Yeah. I'm back. Yeah, okay, you're, here. you're here. My bad. My, my internet, my Wi-Fi sometimes will just randomly switch to, like, another Xfinity Wi-Fi. I don't know why it does that. <laughs> no, it, it's all good. It happens to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But how are you doing today? I'm good, man. I'm good. I appreciate you having me on. And I got to say... You know, just because, you know, the, the YouTube numbers don't bear it out yet, uh, the, the amount of subscribers you have definitely does not equal the amount of influence you have in any given space because, you know, YouTube does its best to censor the, be the, the most influential and impactful voice voices. If you weren't impactful or influential, then, you know, you wouldn't be one of these ones being, you know, censored. I tell that to Sabby all the time. I'm like, the fact that it took her so long to get 10,000 subscribers is what surprised me. I was happy when she hit that milestone. But we know, you know, the work that she's doing right now with the Women's Summit. Yeah. The Revolu Revolutionary Black Network has done a lot of great stuff. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's uh, it, you, def you definitely got to get your marketing game on when you do what we do. But <laughs> yeah, but don't sell yourself short, man. I do some great work over here. 
Thank you. Thank you. Um, I part of that is some of the things that I've learned from the members of, of RBN, both past and present. And I think a lot of the influence was also due to kind of, you know, learning it from from you, you know, in the past. And then they kind of passed that down to me. So. Um, so here I am, you know, so I, I have to be grateful for that, you know, um, but I'm glad you're here. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons also why that I wanted to have you on is because you and I share something unique in this space and people yeah, see it is. every single day, our skin color. Um, we are black men in this space. I am a queer black man in this space. You are a straight black man in this space. And we, you don't see a lot of us in this space. Mm-hmm. That is very true. And yeah. even still, right? Even though we've, we've made vast improvements in that area. Yeah. Uh, there, the, I mean, I've, I think I've been complaining about this uh, and trying to change yeah. it actively since I've started. Because uh, mm-hmm. I kind of like... I looked around for a second, you know, and I was like, hold up. It, it took me a second, I guess, because like I, like I, I was, we were talking about, like I graduated from UNC. I'm a, I'm a Tar Heel until I die, but you know, there ain't a lot of us there either. Um, yeah. You know, so you get kind of used to it after you get to certain levels of politics, as mm-hmm. well. But in this particular space, when it's supposed to be open, right? It's supposed to be accessible, yeah. and you hear so many leftists talk about championing the issue of inclusivity and representation, uh, I was looking around, there wasn't a lot of us there. Yeah. <laughs> and I started seeing that, you know, I wasn't getting invited to the cool kids party, although a lot of them would be in my DMs asking for for information, analysis, commentary, uh, doing what, I mean, hell, you'd be surprised. Yeah. I mean, I ain't gonna say no names, but there are a few that literally, they wouldn't even have their studio set up if I didn't help them build it. Oh. Like, literally. Oh, what? Yeah, like really? Yeah, yeah. I think a couple of them, well, at least one of them was on uh, was on Marion Williams' little panel. Yeah, at least one of them was. So, uh, but, you know, I said no good deed goes unpunished, but that doesn't mean I'm going to stop doing good deeds. And, uh, you know, me, I, I like to think, I'd like to think, think that staying the course uh, and constantly raging about this particular issue is why people like yourself finally found a way to get in here and, and make some waves. So I'm happy about that. Yeah, yeah. Um there is 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 kind is kind of weird because it it feels like being black and on the left and i'm not talking about black and liberal or black and democratic that's not what i'm talking about i'm talking about being black and on the left it feels yeah. like a new phenomenon but it's this tale is as old as time right mhm yeah i i would say that that uh the very unique space that we probably engage was I mean at least since the Black Panthers I feel like that's and that's why it's funny when everybody calls me uh you know I'm sure you've seen people call me Nazi which I which is hilariously ironic um it's like calling I guess a a, a homosexual man a homophobe in a lot of ways they're like well why do you feel like well why are you how are you a leftist I'm like I literally have almost the exact same ideology as Black Panthers the almost exactly the same. Okay. They might even be more left than me in some instances. Like, mm-hmm. I believe firmly in two-way. 
uh, in the Second Amendment. In fact, I always laugh at my conservative friends. I'm like, y'all think y'all believe in two way? Y'all don't even take it close to near far enough. Um, and I, I'm in this camp of I, because I understand the history of how black uh, people, especially revolutionary black people and mm -hmm. black liberators, have been treating this country. I'm like, any gun that the government owns, you should be able to own it too if you can afford it. Because mm. there, it's not going to be a fair fight if they roll up in here with tanks and drones and you out here with your, your you know, your Glock 40 or whatever, your, your 48 special. Mm -hmm. Like, that's not, no, it's the reason that the Second Amendment was, was so important wasn't mm -hmm. just to defend our property against mm -hmm. the left, the people to the left and the right of us, because communities, for the most part, protected each other. Yeah. It was to protect against governments, foreign mm -hmm. and domestic. And we know that black people have been under attack by the domestic government for quite some time now. Like, that's a, that's a, Black Panther ideology, the reason that everybody wants to talk about Republicans and they, their love for Ronald Reagan and how they're so pro-gun, that's funny because I'm sure you already know this, like Reagan took guns away because of the Black Panthers in yep. California. Yeah. Like, and, and the NRA never talks about that, right? So True. it's the, 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 maybe I might seem because I don't, I don't, I don't use a lot of the same uh, talking points, the same buzzwords, at least mm -hmm. I don't use them in the same way as a lot of my white leftist counterparts. Yeah. Uh, however, uh, best believe if you ever put any of us on stage together or have a con, put us both on camera and go point by point who is quote unquote the leftist, mm -hmm. oftentimes you're gonna find out that most people are to the right of me. Uh, it's just yeah. that most people don't know that because they also know the people, because those people do know that you're the right of me and they would never entertain that. They wouldn't do it because I, think, I don't know if anybody's ever seen me debate, but you know how that yeah. turns out. Well, it, it, and, and we said this in private conversation before. I, I think part of it is because a lot of times people will believe what other people say about you without actually talking to you. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, which is weird. Cause I feel like my DMs are pretty, I'm pretty good at responding to my DMs, I think. Yeah, yeah, you responded to me. I mean, you know, so. But here, here's here's the here's the crazy part though, and, and, and to your point, you get a lot of people who are who consider themselves conservative, and then they talk about taking up arms and being malicious about the tyranny of government, and yet they see the police budgets growing, they see how they're going yeah. up against us black people, and yet they still want to support police. It's like, wait a minute, I thought you guys were about no tread on, don't tread on me, and yet exactly. you see them treading on us. And you're okay with it? Like that's pure government tyranny happening right in front of your face. Now, it's funny because right, so now since this whole mandate situation became a thing, they start to look at cops a little bit sideways, like, hold on, we gotta do it back a little bit and like black people like usual like, we try to tell y'all, we try to tell you. And We've been with us. Yeah. Right? It always starts off with us, but it never stops with us. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm I'm gonna be honest with you, Nick made a good point because Nick was like, Well, look, we've been enduring civil asset forfeiture for time in memoriam. And now that it's be done against, you know, conservatives or, or white people or some other people, other groups, it's like, oh, man, this is unfair. It's like, bingo, motherfucker. We've been saying the same thing for the entire time. And the so, thing I is, mean, is that we're not making video, we're not one of the videos that I did that went viral about Kamala was specifically about her advocacy for civil asset forfeiture in California. Like that. It's been a thing. And, and a yeah. lot of the times it's even you don't even have to be convicted of anything for it to happen. Yeah. And, and here's the crazy part. And and we're not saying that it's okay because it's happened to other people. We're saying that you should have been mad ages ago when it was happening to us. It's like where was that same where was that same vitriol against the government when they were doing it against us? Yeah, no, it's 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 frustrating to me because that's when you get those people who will claim that black people are race baiting for literally saying what they go through. 
Like I don't, I'm, I'm the type of person that I hate the, the this caricature of identity politics that the Democrats have created. Yeah, because it just it, it really it yeah. really trivializes the actual experience yeah. that people go through or experiences that people go through because of their identity, right? Yeah. Like they're everybody care like everybody pretends to care about black people until it's time to elect a segregationist. And then all of a sudden, every day I tell people, say somebody was asking me, well, how do you know that's, that that uh, racism still exists? I said, because if it didn't exist, then, then Biden would be dragged out of the office. Like every single day that goes by, it proves my point. Yeah. How the hell? Because I mean, because it's not like we don't have recent history to go off of. It ain't just like this is like year. What's well, third, four, five, six decades ago? No, no, no. This man has proven every decade that he's exactly the same person. Yeah. I mean, even to this day. Funding actively Nazis in the Ukraine. Yeah. Right. Funding those funding those people actively. He has been this, and he has not been dragged out of the White House, and that lets you know what kind of country we have. Yeah. I mean, pretty much every single president has been anti-black that we've ever had, from Washington really down to now. They've all been anti-black in some way, shape, or form. You cannot tell mm-hmm. me that they haven't, because even when they did the civil war and release slaves it wasn't because they really liked us and even when they signed for instance the civil rights act of 1964 it wasn't really because they actually liked us it was because their hand was forced a lot of times this is because their hand is forced Mm -hmm. and this is one of the reasons why a lot of us are saying that electoral politics going that route only is not going to do shit it really has to be people on the ground doing shit because that's how shit got done Without yeah. direct it's, action, I mean, we would still be picking politics. cotton. I'm, I'm not going to say electoral politics is a joke because every of course. every city and every state has different situations. But you want to talk about the federal level? I mean, it's kind of a joke. I mean, if I'm being real, FD, not FDR, excuse me, uh, your, your boy um, Johnson, Lyndon B. Johnson was one of the, he was like what, known as a connoisseur. Literally, it was printed in the New York Times. He's a connoisseur of the N-word. He was one of the most racist people on this planet. And was still forced to sign it. He didn't introduce it, so let's be very clear about that. A lot of people keep oh. thinking that he did, and they make, they call him like this champion of civil rights. No, he didn't introduce it. First of all, it was introduced once, it failed, and people went crazy. Like they were like, "Y'all done lost your mind." The people in Washington were scared for their lives. That's why they ended up passing that legislation. They were scared. Like we don't get anything because we voted someone who prom- who offered to prom- and, and promised something. Like uh, marriage equality, right? Mm-hmm. That's somebody took that to the Supreme Court. Hell, want to talk about black people being able to vote in a primary? That was a black. It was a doctor actually from Texas. This is a long time ago. Mm-hmm. A black doctor from Texas challenged the system, and when the Democrats made the same argument that they actually made the, Dem- the DNC fraud lawsuit, which is that they can put in whoever they want and allow uh, to affect the election, whoever they will choose to allow. Like he was like, no, I can't do that. And he took that to the Supreme Court with his own money, direct action, and won. That's how things get get done in this country. You go, it's it's at the, it's partially at the ballot box, but that's like barely the first step. Like, like that's like the very, 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 very last step. Yeah. Or you could, or depending on how you argue, the very, very, very first step. Mm-hmm. But it shouldn't. It doesn't stop there. And, and you gotta, you gotta. I mean, for all intents and purposes, get your hands dirty. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like. A hammer doesn't work if there's no power behind it. Yes. And direct action is the power behind it. 
No, that's a, yeah. I mean, I, I can't remember Martin Luther King, if I'm not mistaken, didn't get killed because man, he just was endorsing all the right people. <laughs> no, <laughs> that was, you know, Malcolm X didn't get assassinated because he was endorsing people because he was telling people who to vote for. Mm-hmm. Huey P. Newton, Fred Hampton, like, no, they were out there in the trenches, in the trenches of trenches, yeah, doing the work and saying, and also, like, I don't know, I know people bring this up a lot of times on Martin Luther King Day, but it doesn't hurt to bring it up again. Mm-hmm. Like the the leftists and the liberals that that cheer on and celebrate Martin Luther King on his birthday mm-hmm. would have hated Martin Luther King. Oh, definitely. They would have called him a nuisance, an irritant. Oh, he's just looking for attention. Oh, he's just being hyperbolic. Oh, he's just an angry black man. That's yeah. what y'all would have been saying. Yeah. And I know because I see y'all do that to these figures that are likely going to be revered to that degree at some point in history. Because when you're on the right side of history, it never looks like it at the time. Oh, de- definitely. Like, for instance, he had a 75% disapproval rating in the country. They hated the man. They hated mm-hmm. Dr. King. And so a lot of people, you're right, that praise him now. They wouldn't give a shit about him. In fact, they'd be trying to scream, lock him up because they'd be like, he's disrupting the country. Yep. What? You think think Dr. Martin Luther King would have voted for Biden? Like, I love I love Dr. Cornell West, but I remember he went on he went on the convo couch and Pasta and Fiorella asked him, like, yo, like, do you believe that Dr. King would have supported this man or voted for him or would he have suggested? No. Like, why would you support any of these war criminals? Mm -hmm. Why are we supporting any of these racists? You know, and, and, and Cornell West, you know, conceded. Uh, but at the same time, it's like he did go on to vote for him. And, and that's one of the blemishes on his on his resume for me, yeah. because I didn't vote for either of them. Me neither. Because I know I know where this ends up. And Dr. Cornell West is once again, I still admire him. He's dope as hell. But like he's older than I am. And he knows exactly what this is. He knew yeah. what what was going to be. We have 40 years to figure that part out. Yeah. And instead of saying, you know what? protest the system he instead said let's choose to engage it and then after the damage is done try to repair it like that that doesn't make any sense that's mm-hmm. counter that's counterintuitive and counterproductive um and they and yeah. like you said man you, you just don't get and i feel like Cornell west don't get me wrong is feeling that now right because yeah. he has been pretty vocal about mm-hmm. calling out the biden administration he was feeling it when he was vocal about calling out hillary mm-hmm. and trump at the same time mm-hmm. um you know like i say there was a blemish but at the same time this is how we're we're all be, especially minorities. Good God, mm-hmm. you know, like standing up to the system, challenging the system, uh, being like Ice Cube and say, okay, remember during the election, mm-hmm. Ice Cube was demonizing that they said he was supporting Trump, but the reason why he was being demonized not because he was supporting Trump, because he's actively said I'm not supporting anybody in this race. I'm mm-hmm. going to put together these these this black policy, and I want people to. To, mm-hmm. to promise to pass it. Mm-hmm. That's what I want. Yeah. Uh, obviously, neither of them are going to do that. But that he came out and said, if you've done your history, if you've read your history, you know that none of them are on our team. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of going through this revelation out in public. Like, what the hell? Like, have y'all been reading stuff? Did y'all know they both been screwing us over? Yeah. And he got attacked for that. Yeah. Lil Wayne, because of, uh, I think he had some charges actually dropped mm-hmm. uh, by Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, he endorsed Donald Trump. That was a headline. It was a trending topic on Twitter for all of five hours. Mm-hmm. Never was attacked again because he picked a side. They don't care what side you pick because either way, that feeds into the theater of yeah. politics. It feeds yeah. into the duopoly. They'll make fun of you. They'll call you out. Then they'll get over it. But when you refuse to pick a side, 
that makes you inherently dangerous to the system that they've been working to protect that mm. requires this 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 Hegelian back and forth because that distracted the, the team football or the team sports or whatever like that that in order for that system to stay in place you have to have team sports you have yeah to. and when people like ice cube or myself or others mm-hmm. step out of that then both sides at some point will both consider us the enemy yeah despite us not playing for either team yeah and, and uh like for instance um it kind of reminds me of how, how uh, Muhammad Ali was demonized for his conscientious objection to fight in the Vietnam War. And he was demonized mm-hmm. for it because he was like, you know what? I'm not fighting this war because why would I yep. fight in a war where I'm not even respected in my own country as a black man? And mm-hmm. so it's like every single time we say we basically flip the bird at both parties. It's like, well, you're just evil. And it's like. I'm sorry, I do not want to bomb little brown kids in other countries and then strip them of their resources that's theirs, you know, to do trade with. Like, why am I going to do that? And why am I going to support two parties that both want to encourage a occupying military force that sees my skin as a dangerous weapon somehow, for some reason, and then you get mad at me for saying that I don't want to fund either one of them. Like, it's like, make that make sense. Yeah. And people are like, well, they, they they actually say that they support. Yeah, but just because they say it doesn't mean they actually do it. I mean, liars do exist. <laughs> like, Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, the majority of anybody in this space, I would say 98% of them are liars. Yeah. That's, it, it's sad. It's sad, but like, uh, I was I would say optimistically before I was I had my eyes open a little bit. Uh, I would say optimistically, I would say back then, I still thought 80% of the space was liars, right? Maybe some didn't know they were liars until recently, but, you know, it's I, I can confidently say that you'll know a liar because they get offended by the truth, mm. right? There's some people who are misled, you mm-hmm. know, that, and they and they can admit when they're wrong. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are people who get, that are, are, are misinformed. They don't know better because of so much information that we're being thrown that's that's being thrown at us on a daily basis. I can see how you can just miss things, right? Yeah. I, there are people right now who are definitely on the wrong side of this story. This story when it comes to Ukraine and Russia. Yeah. But how much can I expect them to know about the Ukraine and Russia? We it hasn't really been discussed in the, it, to this degree, um, in uh, this this space, uh, for them to have thought about looking when everything else is going on at the same time. But if you get offended by the truth. Mm-hmm. then that makes you a liar usually because you want to be able to maintain that lie without being challenged or having your ego bruised and people like that are, are dangerous yeah because a lot of them have managed to convince people that they are the truth tellers um but i mean truth tellers are aren't afraid to speak to anybody yeah. right because well especially, especially if you know what you're talking about well <laughs> like especially if you know what you're talking about but because it, it, it one or two things are going to happen if you speak to somebody publicly about a disagreement you're going to be right, and now you have kind of built up credibility, or you get proven wrong, and you learn something new. <gasps> oh my God! Yeah. Like, you know, like that. Those are two things that are good. Those are good things. Both of those things are good. They're great, actually. But, but here, here's, that's here's not a... how it gets treated because so many people tie the the at least the look of being right, right, the image of being right, to their bank accounts. 
right? I, it, there's not. I always I always joke, but I mean now we're not really friends, so I can get to say like Kyle Kalinske has never been anything that Kyle Kalinske has ever been right on that I've been wrong about. Mm-hmm. If if it's if it's going to be both of us right, I was right first, right? <laughs> if one of us is wrong, it's always going to be Kyle. And Kyle knows because we've even had conversations on camera. The one time Kyle might have thought he was right, where it seemed like a surefire thing, he realized how ridiculously wrong he was when we did case by case, on a case by case basis of whatever we were discussing at that point. Mm-hmm. But he learned, but he admitted to me after that stream, man, I just learned something new. I had no, oh, actually, it was on the stream. He said, man, I learned something new. I didn't even know about that stuff. So that's that's what happens when you're willing to engage with people is that you at least come off as an honest actor. I remember back in the day, bro, you, if you were running for president, like the, Link, the, Link, the Lincoln-Douglas debate was such a popular forum because the idea that people would run away from debate meant you were a bitch. That means you had no conviction. It means you did not stand by the shit that you were fighting for, that you were just seeking glory, but avo- trying to avoid conflict to get that glory, which means you were not able... You can't, you can't be a leader if you're avoiding conflict inherently. Like, mm-hmm. you just can't be that. Mm-hmm. But now, you'll see people either run away from debates or pick and choose debates based off of polit- political affiliation. Mm-hmm. Or try to control which way the debate flows by mm-hmm. giving them some inherent advantage by, like, you know, I don't, no, no moderator. They're just, they only show their face and give some people the voice, like, give uh, them uh, audio and that's it. Mm-hmm. Like, all that stuff when you're talking about a debate actually matters because if you remember, I don't know if you ever did any research on the Nixon, uh, Nixon and Kennedy debate. Anybody who was watching on TV thought Nixon won. Anybody who was listening on the radio thought, no, excuse me, reverse. Anybody who listening on the radio thought Nixon won. Anybody who watched it on TV because of how composed he was thought Kennedy won. Because hmm. all of those factors matter. Mm-hmm. And when you, not everybody's obviously. You know, they, it, I'm not gonna expect everybody to be able, be able to argue on camera or whatever. But at the same time, if you are one of those people who talk on camera and one of those people who have gained a following on camera or through a podcast by putting out certain claims, then you should absolutely be willing to defend yourself. I remember I flew to, Anna Kasparian challenged me on something. Mm-hmm. And I flew to California two days later. Mm-hmm. Posted a ticket on Twitter and said, okay, that's, I'm not arguing with you. We both got followings, we both got you know, we, we both have platforms. Well, I'm not, no, I'm just going to fly to California and we can have this debate. Anna Kasparian disappeared for about four days. Literally. Didn't go on TYT. Didn't go on Twitter. Refused to debate me. Mm-hmm. But then, not even a few weeks later or a couple of months later, Anna Kasparian debating Tommy Loren about universal health care or whatever at Politicon. Why? For what? We know where Tommy stands. We know where Anna stands. What does that bring? What does that offer us? Yeah. Theater, bread and circus. That's it. Yeah. Because Anna knows better than to challenge somebody who actually knows what they're talking about mm-hmm. because she's dishonest. Yeah. Here, here's my thing though. It's okay to be wrong as long as you are willing to adapt and adjust to the new information that was presented to you, and then that actually shows people that you have integrity. And that translates to trust because they know that you're an honest yeah. actor. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to be real with Jimmy, you. Jimmy, Jimmy Dore, that's my, that's my dog, but he's mastered that. Jimmy will get some shit egregiously wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he'll figure it out and be willing to, willing to change course and admit he was wrong. Like, 
yeah. it's become very, very famous because of that. And he's yeah. not the only one, but that's because people we're not all we're all of us. None of us are always right. None of us. Yeah. But yeah. when you are humble enough to be able to admit when you're wrong and then change course uh, to the degree that a lot of people have, mm-hmm. that does build up trust. Yeah. It shows you're humble. Yeah. But as for me, it's I recognize the lane that I that I am in. I am not a debater because number one, I suck at them. I'm gonna be real. I suck at debates. I am not good at them. And and look, I will like for instance. Here's one of my biggest problems that I I experienced personally. You'll make a point. Keep going, keep going real quick. I'm gonna turn on my other light real quick because my yeah. sun went out. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I will make a point, and then once I make that point, somebody will make a counterpoint, and for some reason, that I know the information to truly counter it objectively, but I'll forget that point, or it'll slip out of my mind, and it'll make it look like I don't know what I'm talking about. And then, guess what? The person will think that they won the debate, and I know deep down in my gut that they're wrong, and then it'll be like two, three days later, and then I remember that point, and it's like, oh, man, I should have brought this up. And I knew they were wrong, but I just couldn't I just couldn't vo- verbalize it appropriately. And so, for me, a, it's like, I'm not a debater. Not a, a discussion? It's, it's, that's a learned skill, believe it or not. That's not something that most people can do. Um, and... It's it, for me the reason I obviously so I debated like all of high school and and college yeah. so uh, that's something I had to learn but a lot of that came it, it was a skill that was easier to learn because I would bury myself into this stuff because I like loved it so much I loved talking about it and I cared about it yeah. like this is something I'm passionate about so it's always easy for me to dig my deep dig deep into something that I'm very passionate about yeah and. I don't, I don't, I don't debate anything that I'm going to lose the debate on. I'm just, I'm really good at picking my battles. Like, I'm not going to debate somebody else that I don't know everything and absolutely everything about. I remember I went to um, this event called um, Better Discourse that had leftists and conservatives and everything in between there talking about uh, various issues. And, of course, actually it was partially a joke. They put me on the, uh, it was like basically talking about systemic racism or whatever. It was, uh, that's what that was the panel, and then of course because like they they know I like talking about reparations. I'm 100% believe uh, just just no debate to be had really about it. Mm-hmm. And so they they set me up on purpose with conservatives to have this conversation. And by the end of the conversation, there were conservatives walking up to me saying, "Man, look, don't tell nobody I said this, but like you kind of changed my mind on reparations because I didn't even know about that stuff with FDR." I didn't even know what red, I've never even heard of redlining before that point. I didn't even, because I used their own arguments. Like, I was like, I was like, you can't, I was like, y'all know about FDR? They're like, yeah. I was like, yeah, man, I hate that guy. They were like, what? Oh, I can't believe that. This black guy is saying that? And I'm like, oh, no, yeah, he's working on having the black people uh, since the Kardashians, really. And so when you're talking about redlining, which got introduced with the New Deal, um, and the fact that redlining was such a, an impairment to the growth of black wealth, when you're talking about the fact that FDR shut down, the only banks to survive the Great Depression, Depression were black banks. I don't know if y'all know that. They, that's the only, those are the only banks to survive the Great Depression. And instead of letting them continue to grow their wealth, because it would have been exponential, guess what? FDR closed them down just like he closed down the other banks. 
which is on purpose, right? So now we can't even get our can't even get the vast amount of loans that were being given out by like J.P. Morgan and and uh, Wells Fargo and all them uh, all those big banks, Bank of America. We couldn't get those in large amounts like the white people could when they were getting you know getting their suburban building the suburban suburban yeah. utopias. Yeah. And I say so everybody here believes that you got to have a strong family, right? Because that's the only way you, you want to stop crime. You want to make sure people do well in school. Strong family values. They're like, yeah. You know, everybody's cheering. I'm like, yeah, man. And what's the number one cause of divorce? And somebody else, like, finances. I say, oh, oh, interesting. So if if the number one way to start a business, especially at the time, small businesses, take out a second mortgage on your house, what happens when you're not allowed to take out a second mortgage? That means you can't start businesses, correct? They're like, oh, yeah. I'm like, so... If small businesses in the middle class are the backbone of America, how if we weren't allowed to gauge in that in any really substantive way across the board, wouldn't that mean that there's a increased likelihood that we are going to fall into poverty, that we are going to fall into crime, that we are going to have more issues, that we are going to be more reliant on the system? And if I just told you that a Democrat did that, that's the reason that all the awareness. The last case of redlining, ladies and gentlemen, was in twenty, like twenty sixteen, something Bingo. like that, twenty third, twenty fifteen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I'm like, so I'm like, Jim Crow laws haven't died yet. I said, like, because like, you know, the first thing they're waiting to hear is like the slavery argument. They're like perking up their ears, ready to scream. But my family didn't make own slaves. You know, they was waiting for it. I was like, no, 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 no. I'm talking about today, right now. This still has happened. We are still feeling the effects of Jim Crow laws. Some of them have the the I talk, the 93% of all public school funding coming from property taxes. Property tax, That's a yeah. Jim Crow law. Yeah. People don't even know that. So it's like, whenever that happened, they were like, oh man. Slavery's still legal in this country. Some of the other leftists who didn't go, they didn't yeah. go to this event. They were demonizing it, right? They were saying, why would you go speak to conservatives? Well, who the hell else am I supposed to speak to to get to change? It's the people that agree with me. You have to talk to people who you don't agree with you just to bring them over to your side. I mean, that's isn't that the reason why? Like, why am I going to why are we going to preach to the choir when when we need to convert people outside? Like, look, let's be real. I preached door to door for over almost 20 years. I never sat in the church where I was at. And I just kept talking to the same people who believed in what I believed. We actually went out there door to door to actually try to convert people like that's what yeah. you did. You gotta be a, a even <laughs> if you believe in this stuff, or you gotta be an evangelical leftist. That's what I call it, right? You gotta Basically, go sinners are. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like that. It, 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 but that it's, it's. I know people laugh about it, but it's, it's. That's how I think, man. I don't. When you are not afraid to talk to anybody, and you are equipped with knowledge, and you're equipped with passion, uh, and you're humble, and at the end of the day, for me, like I'm a human. I know that the person that I'm talking to is a human, uh, unless it might be like the queen of Great Britain or Biden or like one of these people. That's different. But the average person <laughs> I'm going to talk to is a human. And yeah. they have been subject to the exact same propaganda that I was subject to. True. And we are all limited by our experiences. If they've never been offered any new information, how are they going to change their mind? You have to give them, you have to give them a chance to grow. And it, look, it is not to say that, obviously, like, there are friends that I have that I agree with them every day about something they might tweet, post mm-hmm. on Instagram, whatever. Like, and, but if, if I can reach out to them and, like, say my opinion 
we go back and forth. Nah, it, it is usually, you know, it's usually like kind of like lighthearted. Mm-hmm. Like, and I can change one thing about that opinion. I don't have to, I, I'm not changing people's opinions for, for like publicity. I don't do that shit. I, I think it's like, there's a lot of clout chasers mm-hmm. who will go at each other publicly yeah. because it's about chasing clout. Cause you know, in the public, in a public forum, like Twitter, or, uh, I guess what it used to be Facebook. Like you're not going to change anybody's mind on Twitter. Really? Like it's two, especially two public figures. Yeah. Because that's all for ego. And when yeah. you, when you injure these, especially these white boys, right? You injure that ego. They don't know how to act. They're not going to hear anything you have to say at that point. But if you reach out to them behind the scenes, all of a sudden the the, the, the gears start percolating a little bit. Mm-hmm. And they start to rethink that next tweet before they send it out. They start to add some caveats to that next tweet or that next video before they put it out. Yeah. Like, that's how you get things done. If you're doing it for the right reasons, rather than just like, oh, man, my friend embarrassed me because he had a bad take. If I got embarrassed by every friend I know that had a bad take, boy, I would just be a sad, sad guy because everybody I know has had a bad take. Everybody. So, yeah, I've had mine. It, so. Yeah, I've been <laughs> I've been wrong plenty of times. JB has been wrong plenty of times. <laughs> but yeah, um, I didn't even get to my questions yet. <laughs> We've been talking go this ahead, whole time. Man, go ahead. Like damn, <laughs> yo, I knew this was gonna be a good show. Damn. Um, <laughs> but oh shit, I don't know if I can ask them all. Um. Okay. Oh hell, I can save these for another time. Um, Cause we're at we're almost twenty minutes in. Go ahead, we can we can get through whatever we can get through right now. Okay. All right, I just wanted I just wanted to make sure I'm just trying to be respectful of your time. Yeah, no, you're good, you're good. I'll let you know. Okay. All right. So, what is one of the biggest learning curves that you? have had to endure when getting into this independent media space uh the biggest learning curves oh man i guess technology would have been the biggest one i know that sounds silly but like when i came in it was like not as the stream yard stuff that that damn show didn't exist (laughs) i was obs studio and figure it out your guy was going on youtube and then googling uh or i was going live from my iphone back in the day um Mm-hmm. I would, like that's like from the just the production side. So mm-hmm. uh, funny enough, my friend told me he's like, man, you should start a production consulting, like independent production consulting firm. I'm like, why? He's like, bro, because I actually literally have helped people put studios together that are affordable that they can do operate out of their homes, right? Oh, okay. So, um, it, which obviously you could see some of the major change that you can make from being able to do something like that, and it, it once again puts the power back in the hands of the proletariat rather than relying on a CNN with dying ratings or MSNBC or a Fox News with dying ratings. Yeah. So uh, from the technology side, that was probably the biggest learning curve was I had to kind of like teach myself all that stuff. Uh, I had to um, do a lot of, a lot of uh, guess and check. Really, really expensive guess and check. <laughs> then yeah. on the actual politics side, Hmm. Actually, I feel like I was really, uh, I, was, I, was, I was like the only person in independent media at that point that had like legitimate political experience. Um, mm. Organizing, working for candidates, consulting. I worked in a gubernatorial. I actually used to work for the man uh, who 
told Johnny Cochran to say the glove, glove don't fit, you must have quit. His name was uh, Kenneth Spaulding. He was one of the really? in North Carolina. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was one of his advisors, yeah. Um, so I had a lot of uh, political experience and PR experience and uh, because in the, in the debate experience too, to formulate pretty co coherent arguments. So that actually helped me kind of overcome a lot of the technological deficiencies that I had in the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, so that like, I feel like that kind of like saved me a lot. And that's why I'm always, I always try to tell people to be patient when you have new people coming in. Cause like my team might've seemed like they were like super ahead of the curve, like a, a, ahead of everything. Yeah. But that's because, like, y'all don't know what they were saying before I, I was on their ass all the time. I'm like, they would call me, Fiorella would call me. I know she don't mind me telling you. Like, she, we were talking about Syria or something like that. She was like, yeah, I know we shouldn't invade. And this is, like, maybe 20, mid to late 2017 or early 2018, uh, when they had, like, 200 followers on Facebook. Like, nobody knew who they were. She was like, we shouldn't invade. I know, but, like, like Assad is definitely, like, a brutal dictator, though, right? He definitely kills his, his, definitely kills his own people, right? I'm like, uh, well, why? How do we know that? It's like, well, I mean, it's, it's, tr it's true, right? I'm like, I don't know, is it true? How do I know it's true? Well, I'm like, why? Because like, CNN said it was true? I'm like, that's not really a good barometer, right? Because like, if CNN is lying about A, B, C, D, E, F, and G, why am I assuming they're going to tell the truth about H without some pretty solid evidence? And she's like, oh, well, I, I guess you're right. And I'm like, and I was like, are CNN and Fox News both agreeing on this? She was like, I mean, yeah, in different ways, but yeah, I'm like, oh, so when's the last time that, that they agreed on something <laughs> that that ended up being correct? It, it never happens. Yeah. And she was like, oh, so then it's like now it goes to it, it became get it, it started to get rid of the assumptions. They learned to get rid of the assumptions. Stop <laughs> going in believing something because of this truism that no one can really remember where it originated from. That's usually like that's when you can get rid of all of that stuff and mm -hmm. like just wipe the slate clean. Uh, then you begin to rebuild that foundation up. You start to see the patterns way faster, and that allows you to put out content way mm -hmm. faster. It allows you to be right way faster, and not this nonsensical like, "Oh my God, we gotta end the wars because Biden's bad," and like just the buzzwords that people do to get retweets and likes. Like, no, I'm talking about substantive analysis. You can get faster than anybody else. And anybody watching the combo couch now knows that. Yes, they were put through boot camp. We ain't, we ain't do no that half-stepping bullshit because we don't know I'm a black man. I don't get started networking in half-step. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they know that. So, yeah. uh, you know, you know we got shout-out to Pasta. Pasta is our resident white guy. Whenever we have to ask for interviews or go into public spaces and be aggressive, we just send Pasta instead of us. Um, and it always works out well. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it, it, yeah, really it was, you all, know. The, all the knowledge that I had gained up until that point uh, allowed me to kind of train the team to properly research, look, look in the right places mm -hmm. and effectively call out bullshit before other people even are 50 percent of the way there. Yeah. Yeah, because you, you can't send us ice cube looking asses over there because everybody's going to get scared and be like, oh, these, these black men, they're so scary. They're going to. They're too aggressive, and it's yeah. like, yeah, no, no, you don't yeah, want to send yeah, us, absolutely. especially. Yeah. I pasta asked somebody for, I want to say it was Ben Cohen from uh, Ben and Jerry's, right? Mm -hmm. I want to say it was him. It might, oh, no, 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 it was somebody else. It was somebody else. It was like we were at the, at the California convention, and Pasta's like, hey, man, I really want to be, get an interview with you. Is that fine? You have some free time to do it. was like, yeah, man, okay. He's like, all right, well, really quick, 
here's my friend Nico. He's actually like runs the MCSC network and he's going to be the one interviewing. I'm just going to be behind the camera. So yeah, man, as long as you got time, let's go ahead and <laughs> we do that all the time. Like we do that all the time. That's because hilarious. If they saw me, they're, they're less likely to want to engage with me than yeah. if they see pasta, you know, it's what it is. We know what it is. And then we just take advantage. We just try to yeah. work around it. However we got to, but you know, it's life of the black man. Just do what, <laughs> do Look. what you can. <laughs> Look, and yes to everybody that's watching. Yes, I know that me and Nico look like we can be cousins. Damn straight. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. We, know. we might be. We might be, yeah, yeah you know. We might be, man. If you got any Caribbean in you, you might be my cousin. Huh? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I mean, no, nah, I don't have that much Caribbean in me. I just did a, a an ancestry DNA test. I just found out I'm, like, mostly Nigerian. But whatever. But we, 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 we related somehow. But Say that again? I said we're related somehow. <laughs> but yeah, um, this is another question that I that I that I ask a lot of people in my uh, tour who come to my show. Um, I also asked this of Misty. She was on last week. So this is a hypothetical question. You're president of the United States and it's January 20th on your inauguration day. What are the first three actions you're taking as president within your first 100 days? Free Assange. Okay. Um, close all the bases in the world, all the military bases in the world. Okay. In uh, writing one long executive order and um, getting rid of all student, student debt. Mm-hmm. Mandating that Congress create a, a single payer healthcare system. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously I can't allocate the funds, so they're gonna have to actually do figure that part out. But I would definitely be directly involved in that process. And um, hmm, oh, banning private prisons because I could do that executively, and decriminalizing all drugs, and disbanding the CIA. This is going to be one, I'm telling you, this is going to be one, I know I'm cheating, but it's one long-ass executive order. Go ahead and uh, cheat. Disbanding <laughs> the CIA um, and bringing up every president alive or dead on war crimes and making them defend themselves in court. Uh, yeah. But technically, you know, so you can do that. <laughs> I'm in church right now. <laughs> yes, let the church say yeah. <laughs> now, if you would ask me other stuff that I would do, so this whole idea of lifetime appointments to the Supreme Court would be done. That's over. And oh. The fact that the president appoints them—that's ridiculous. That's fucking dead too. Uh, that they would be voted on, just like our DAs at the local level, just like our judges at the local level. It's ridiculous that the president gets to, to do that. Same thing with U.S. attorneys. You got to vote on U.S. attorneys now, which means you have to run for office, which means up into that point, you have to have a stellar record. That means you better be careful who you're prosecuting, huh? And how you and what sentences you're giving, huh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, military budget slash by three fourths. Like we just need enough to to deal with our border. That's it. Yeah. Um, you know, I know a lot of people wonder, well, what happens to the United States if we don't have the military abroad doing whatever we do. We got but it. But like at the end of the day, yo, like 
I'm kind of past that shit. Like, I've kind of just generally accepted that, like, we got a lot of karma coming our way. Like, and and that's just the reality. But that doesn't justify continuing to do evil abroad. Yeah. Because, like, there's just too many kids that have just been killed just for mm-hmm. being born in the wrong country, being born yeah. in the wrong color, mm-hmm. uh, being born on the wrong oil field or near the wrong oil field, mm-hmm. speaking the wrong language. Like, and it's all in some way, form, or fashion connected to either the UK or the US uh, and, and their yeah. imperialism. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm talking about there's not been a single justifiable war or conflict that I can point to in the last, not even just 100 years, I guess at this point, almost 120, 130 years. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of this stuff has been in the works since the late 1800s. So, yeah, you know, the consequences of that will be, I guess we just have a lot of fucking pe- making up to do. A lot of, a lot. that's really what it comes down to. Yeah. We have to be willing to say, uh, it's kind of one of those things where you have to concede, like we just, uh, uh, we will accept our punishment and we will hopefully begin, you know, grow from there. And I think that because almost every other nation isn't as sociopathic as we are as a nation, mm-hmm. they would take pity on the people of the United States uh, to the point where it would just probably be some type of reconciliation with our leaders because they know how much power we don't have here versus yeah. trying to introduce harsh sanctions on people. Because yeah. that's what they've, I'm just going off of what history has shown us. A lot of yeah. like, I always say for everybody that talks a lot of shit about Putin. Uh, I've watched a lot of speeches and a lot of uh, interviews with him. And like, we're the ones always talking about going to war and threatening people's lives, innocent lives. Putin, yeah. did, Putin's army didn't kill more innocent people in Afghanistan mm-hmm. than the terrorists actually mm-hmm. did. Terrorists, mm-hmm. that, by the way, that we armed, like, mm-hmm. and trained. Like, the pe- literally, no, the, the terrorist groups that we armed and trained, and then the Afghanistan army that we armed and trained, and, and our army killed more innocent people than the actual, than actual terrorists or the terrorists themselves killed innocent people. Like, they don't want to go to war. They yeah. don't want to sacrifice lives. Yeah. This seems to be something that's unique to NATO powers. And a lot of the people, the, the countries in the global south, understand. They don't take people. If you go overseas, they'll tell you for the most part, they love Americans. They just hate our leaders. I, I don't blame like them. That. Yeah. We do, too. That's what I tell them. I say, I know we're a national embarrassment. It's, it's OK to laugh. Yeah. <laughs> we feel yeah. the same way. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just want to interject on your point about cutting the military which I completely agree with. And the only thing I would do with the military is I would bring them back. I would take the guns out of their hands and hand them tools and shovels. And I'd be like, let's build a green infrastructure in the United States and also sending you abroad to help other countries build their green infrastructures. And that's all you're going to do. In fact, we're not going to kill people. We're going to facilitate life. I can tell you as a veteran, like, mm-hmm. bro, as much time as you spend, if you're not abroad, bro, you're cleaning latrines or bathrooms, you're mowing the lawn, <laughs> like, you're doing, you're, like, cleaning out connexes, you're not doing anything but, like, infrastructural stuff for the military while you're not abroad. Like, that's, that's just, like, we're training that type of stuff. I think that I 100% agree with you, though. Like, if you're creating jobs, you, you make people in that particular situation you're creating a military that you're proud to be in. Like you're helping to build America and you're getting paid for it. You're building a better future for your, your kids yeah. and your grandkids. 
Yeah, like, man. and that's what people thought they were getting into when they got got into the military to begin with. Although they were prop, although they were propagandizing to believing that with your suggestion, they actually would be doing that. So that's a dope idea. I like it. Yeah, because I mean, like, look, we can get the Army Corps of Engineers to start building up the United States. I mean, they're already getting paid by us anyway. They might as well put it to put it to good use. And I mean, look, yeah, I don't uh, know what they do anymore. Honestly, I don't know what they're responsible for. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, and, and you know better than me. I mean, being a veteran that you know there's so much good that the country can actually do you know and, and my thing is is like why isn't our foreign policy in actually doing what china is doing with the belt and road initiative like why aren't we doing our own with other countries yeah so the thing is though the only thing that allows china to do that is because they get the will of this stick of like it's almost and I know that's probably going to come as a surprise to a lot of people. It's like a, it's like a good cop bad cop situation with China, mm-hmm. where it's like the threat of you either you're going to deal with the U.S. military, or you can do this deal where you at least get something out of it. Mm-hmm. Because if you ask a lot of those countries, a lot of those people in countries like uh, Nigeria, Ethiopia, um, a lot of the countries out there, Ghana, mm-hmm. uh, even in the Caribbean, like would they rather have their own autonomy? in self-determination mm-hmm. or have that be determined by China or the United States, right? Now, I will say that, obviously, I would want something that's at least somewhat mutually beneficial. Mm-hmm. But I would argue that the majority... Bro, the United States would not be shit if African countries were allowed to be self-determined. Good God. Like, it wouldn't even be close. We have... In order for the, these electric cars to exist, for the most part, you're taking lithium and minerals and, and precious metals from either a country in Africa or somewhere else in the global south, well, nine times out of ten. Bolivia, probably. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, there's two, what's, what is it, it's like 300 million or 400 million people in Nigeria? It's like some crazy number of, like, this is about damn near as big as the United States. And they have all the resources that we have and more. I, I, so I would imagine that their choice would be let us do what the fuck we want to with our shit. And maybe we wouldn't be asking whether or not we should be doing what China is doing in that particular situation. It's like, man, maybe we should be doing letting uh, doing what Nigeria is doing and working with Ghana and da 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 mm-hmm. and, you know, on this little interna- international uh, expressway. Those are the questions we would be asking. Yeah. But I'm just a firm believer that there's no such thing in, in, in an altruistic uh, superpower. It's just not, it doesn't exist. And so, yeah, and when you're speaking from the perspective of like black people and black men and women abroad, I know what it's like to not really be given a choice, right? Yeah. I mean, how many times have black men been given a choice? Go to the military or go play basketball, go play football, or go to jail or go to the military. Like this is so such a, such a common thing that the poverty draft and the racial draft is a real thing. Yeah. And it, I liken it to the same thing. It's like, if you gave me a choice, I guess if I had to choose between China and the United States running my economy, the United United States doesn't seem to be all that good at running economies as it is. So maybe not them. Definitely probably choose China if I had that choice. But I think that all people in Africa would rather be self-determined and would rather not have to deal with any of those countries. That's influencing true. the outcomes of their governments. That's true. I, I sent out a tweet earlier today. I said, imagine if Africa didn't have to deal with imperialism. Or all mm-hmm. of the Americas did not have to deal with imperialism. Like, what type of mm. continents would they be? Like, it wouldn't be called anything but Africa, first of all. Remember, got the 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 break the the breaking. I guess you call it balkanization once again, and these false borders. 
um, that was created by Westerners. That wasn't a Africa. Africa was Africa. That's why for so long people were confused. They're like, hold on, so Africa. We always say Africa is a continent, not a country. It was a continent and a country, like Australia was forever. That's why people didn't know the difference. For real, people don't know that. Hmm. Like, but you got places like Mozambique, which is like it's it's named that because the Portuguese named it that. Um, Cote d'Ivoire. That's because who named it that? The French named it that. Like, there's so many countries where it's obvious who named them what they are named because, like South Africa. Africa wasn't a, con- a country, or excuse me, Africa was still a country in, in a continent at the same time, so the only thing you could call it was South Africa. What the hell else would you call it? Hell, Africa itself is uh, like an American, or excuse me, uh, um, I guess it's uh, British, technically. Like, so British, UK, Queens, English. Like, I don't think that's what Africans were calling it at the time. So it's like everything about Africa to this degree, to this point is what could have been. Would we even be speaking about the U.S. in the same way? If, if I mean, shit, obviously we don't want Africans to go out there and start, you know, doing all the imperialism that uh, the U.S. was doing. But if the U.S. empire and the British empire were never allowed to be what they became and Africans actually fought back and were unified to some degree and stood up for themselves, would we even be having this conversation about the U.S.? Would you or I even be here? <laughs> no, you know what I'm saying? Like we beat <laughs> Africa is a, is a, is is wild. That the the thought experiment there could lead you down a rabbit hole for for literally years trying to do a thesis about that shit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because I I I was thinking about it, you know, because and, and I know this is the nerd in me. It, it's what I, it is, what it is. But <laughs> like, and, and yeah, this is highly propagandized, but still. The movie Black Panther, like that showed like what a country, a African country would be if it wasn't propagandized at all. You know. Yeah, I mean, I think that that Black Panther probably got it the most right out of any like American like depiction of the black experience. I feel like that, and I gotta give a shout out to Krugler for that one because first yeah. of all, I think he was under thirty when he started that movie, working mm-hmm. with actors that I'm sure, like literally, I think Chadwick Boseman probably did was doing James Brown when Cooler was still a teenager. Like that's how like magnificent. He's that. He's that young though. Bro, Coogler is young as hell, dog. He looked like a kid. Like when he was doing the round table with the rest of the MCU directors, he looked like a child. Like that was just so happy to be there. Uh, and what was funny was that he realized like this is how brilliant of a film it was. He his movie was the only movie, including Infinity War and Endgame, that all of the directors were were there on the uh, opening night in the same room because that's how brilliant it was like you get you managed to show obviously the americanized what it means to like be taken advantage of by the by uh, american imperialism mm-hmm. the, the poverty draft uh you yes obviously that's how you get killmonger mm-hmm. and you see how warped his perspective became mm-hmm. and how he became unfortunately like the americans that he hated so much, like the white people, the white imperialists, that he hated so much. Yeah. But that's what happens in real life. I see it all the time. It does, like yeah. That is literally what happened. And yeah. how Africa itself sometimes can put, be put on a pedestal, or some of the, the countries and its leaders can be put on a pedestal, and they put themselves on the pedestal, but they don't ever take credit for being directly influential in the killmonger outcomes and how they treat us and look down on us. And think that we are lesser than because of us for some for circumstances that weren't in our control that led to us being African American instead of just 